Happy Sunday. Someone once said that if all the preachers in the world were laid out end to end, it would be a good thing. <laughs> I think I know what was meant, because I've sometimes wanted to do the same thing to politicians and plumbers and those annoying robocallers claiming to be from Medicare. In my own little effort to reduce the number of preachers in the world, I've made the decision that this will be my final sermon. Having just celebrated the 40th anniversary of my 40th birthday, you can, you can do the math. My thought is, enough is enough. Let me take this opportunity to express my appreciation for the numerous birthday cards that I've received from members of First Congregational Church, and I've also appreciated the opportunities in this past year to discover that I still had something of value to say. The issue is my health and stamina. And I thank you for your support and affirmation. But the time has come for me to cease and desist. I do remember preaching my first sermon. It was about 65 years ago, right next door at the old First Reformed Church. It was a Sunday evening gathering of young people from Kalamazoo Reformed Churches, and I was asked to preach. I think about having begun my journey a few feet away from this pulpit and the thousands of miles that I've traveled geographically and intellectually to get from there to here. No wonder I'm tired. <laughs> Our second reading for this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. And just to be different, I'm going to read from the Pew Bibles. Listen for the Word of God. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Thanks be to God for his holy word. I always goof that up, don't I? Hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. The text for this morning is from Matthew's version of what is called the Transfiguration of Jesus. What in the world is the meaning of this text? This week, Caroline Myers sent me a reflection from Steve Garnis Holmes about this text, and I'm going to incorporate a couple of his thoughts. He says, it's weird. Shining, Jesus, dead people chatting, Peter talking nonsense. The first one to speak was, of course, Peter. He never let a moment of holy reverie stand in his way. He immediately announces, it's so good to be here, Jesus. Let's erect three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Why can't we just stay here and never let this holy moment pass? How often does something like this happen to us? Those holy moments that are so powerful that we don't want them to end. But they do end. It's as strange a scene as there is in the Gospels. Even without the voice from heaven to explain it, they had no doubt what they were witnessing. It was Jesus of Nazareth, all right, the man with whom they tramped many a dusty mile, whose mother and siblings they knew, the one they'd seen as hungry and tired and as footsore as the rest of them. But it was also the Messiah the Christ, in his glory. It was the holiness of the man shining through his humanness. The face so afire that, with it, that they were almost blinded. Jesus, a citizen of that good-for-nothing town of Nazareth from which it was said nothing good ever came, from Nazareth came Emmanuel, God with us. And that's still the way it is. Today, today the Holy Spirit speaks to us where we least expect to experience God's word. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the lips of our own children and grandchildren. The Holy Spirit speaks in pictures of cities crushed in earthquakes. The Holy Spirit speaks through undocumented refugees. The Holy Spirit speaks not only in the church, and perhaps not often in church, 
but also in the world. There's one other place, an unlikely place that comes to my mind. It's the place of suffering and other bitter experiences. I personally have never found much comfort in the notion that tragedy and suffering are sent to test our faith. What kind of God is so insecure that we who believe need to be tested to see how much we can take before we break? Yet physical suffering comes to most of us. So does mental anguish, disappointment, and failure. It may be that even in those places, God tries to meet us, not only in fields of flowers, but also in the storm. God tries to meet us not just when we're happy, but also in sickness. God tries to meet us not only in success, but also in failure. Pain, pain and trouble may seem like unlikely places to find God. Nevertheless, that is where many have found God. More than one person has been able to look back on those experiences and say, surely God was in this place and I did not know it. God was on the campus of Michigan State University this past Monday where my grandson Henry sat in a classroom, huddled with classmates. He and they knew immediately what to do when they heard the gunshots. Barricade the door, stay low, keep away from the windows. I'm so sad that our children are growing up knowing that, knowing how to deal with that. We've failed them. But sadly and gratefully, they knew exactly what to do. Whether they are in college or kindergartners, they know. We have not left them a safe world. Every once in a while, we have those transcendent God moments. We see the face of God in the face of a man walking his child in the park, of a woman picking flowers from her garden, a couple sitting at a concert, a child standing barefoot in the sand watching the waves roll in. Every so often, something so touching, so incandescent, so alive transfigures the human face so that it's almost beyond bearing. To put it simply, the Holy Spirit disrupts us because the Spirit moves. The Spirit pushes the church to go forward. And we, like Peter at the Transfiguration, ah, how wonderful it is to be like this all together. But don't bother us. We want the Holy Spirit to maintain a safe distance. We want to domesticate the Holy Spirit, and that's just not going to happen. Because the Holy Spirit is God, just like Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is that wind which comes and goes and you don't know where it will be going. 
The Holy Spirit is the power of God, the one who brings consolation and strength to move forward. When you are crying yourself to sleep at night, know that Jesus is lending his shoulder to you. When you're pushed to the ground, know that Jesus is holding his hands toward you. When you feel like dying, know that Jesus died to let you live. When you feel like no one loves you, know that Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. Faith is not about having religious opinions. Faith is merely awe. The willingness to be bedazzled, to look at life and go, wow. The transfiguration of Jesus tells us that by following Jesus and trusting in the Holy Spirit, we are capable of bringing heaven to earth. That's the point of the transfiguration, bringing heaven to earth. That's a thought expressed by my daughter, Henry's mother, bringing heaven to earth is something this congregation, this community of faith has done time and time again. We sponsor a free drop-in center for children. We've turned a vacant lot into a children's nature playscape. We housed an immigrant in this building who is facing deportation. And there have been many more things that we have done as we've stood in downtown Kalamazoo bearing witness for almost 190 years, bringing heaven to earth. Jane Wagner has written a play called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. She has some insights about awe. The play features Trudy, and when I saw the play, Lily Tomlin played that role. It's the only person in the play. She's a bag lady who lives on the streets of New York City. She has encounters with these beings from outer space whom she calls her space chums. They're seeking for signs of intelligent life in the universe. They were intrigued by the ability of human beings to get goosebumps. Trudy says, what a concert. Just listen, amazing. In my head, I can still hear that violin concert. What is it in our brains that lets us recall the music after it's over? Why is it when we hear certain music, we get a lump in our throat? My space chums wonder how come we don't get the lump in our ear. They're impressed with our ability to get lumps in the throat. Apparently, we're unique in that respect. They wanted to know if, I, if it felt anything like goosebumps. 
I said, you never felt goosebumps either? They said, no. They asked me to explain goosebumps. Where do they come from? Do they come from the heart? Do they come from the soul? Do they come from the brain? Or do they come from geese? This set us waxing philosophic. I decided maybe we should take in a play. I got goosebumps once that way. So we headed back towards Schubert Alley, and on the way to the play, we stopped to look at the stars, and as usual, I felt in awe. And then I felt even deeper in awe at this capacity we have to be in awe about something. Then I became even more awestruck at the thought that I was, in some small way, a part of that which I was in awe about. And this feeling went on and on and on. My space chums got a word for it. They call it awe infinitum. Because at the point you can comprehend how incomprehensible it all is, you're about as smart as you need to be. Well, the space chums claim that they have to return to their home, and a few days later, Trudy discovers a note in her jacket pocket. Hey, what's this? Dear, dear Trudy, thanks for making our stay here so jam-packed and fun-filled. Sorry to abort our mission. It's not over, just temporarily scrapped. Just wanted you to know what we take with us into space that we will cherish the most is the goosebump experience. Did I tell you what happened at the play? We were in the back of the theater, standing there in the dark. All of a sudden, I feel one of them tug my, tug my sleeve, whispers, Trudy, look. I said, yeah, goosebumps. You definitely got goosebumps. You really like the play that much? They said, it wasn't the play that gave them the goosebumps. It was the audience. I forgot to tell them to watch the play. They'd been watching the audience. Yeah. To see a group of strangers sitting together in the dark, laughing and crying about the same things, that just knocked them out. So they're taking goosebumps home with them. Goosebumps, quite a souvenir. I like to think of them out there in the dark watching us. Sometimes we'll do something and they'll laugh. Sometimes we'll do something and they'll cry. And maybe one day we'll do something so magnificent that everyone in the universe will get goosebumps. Garnas Holmes writes about the Transfiguration. Let this story be weird. Let life be amazing. Let God be more than you can grasp. Your faith needn't be much more than grateful, gobsmacked wonder. If you really want to get religious, then let this one word be your creed. Wow!
And all God's people said, not amen this week, God's people said, wow.